Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. and welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast, a podcast about Virginia Tech football. So if you're here, you're here for a reason. I am Andrew Alex, a sports reporter at ESPN Blacksburg, a co-host of The Drive, which airs from 4 to 6, Monday through Friday, on ESPN Blacksburg 93.1. Alongside me, live from Columbus, Ohio, perhaps? Columbus, Ohio, Mike McDaniel and his favorite place, Mike from Tech Lunch Pail, Saturday Blitz, um, the Basketball Conference Podcast, and of course the Hokie Hangover Podcast. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, man. Another day, another hotel room. Here I am in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Um, guys, we got some news. We're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. Oh, hell yeah. That's good news. That is good news. Better late than never, as they say. Mike, are you having more fun now or when you were buying me shots at Hokie House on Friday night? Oh, by far when I was buying you shots at Hokie House on Friday night. Let's not even pretend. To all of our listeners, I heard buying me shots is really, really fun. Speaking of shots, a man who is sipping Mount Gay right now, Mount Gay rum, Ricky LeBlue out of a cookout cup, flying from the 757. Ricky, how are you doing, buddy? Did you have to put me on blast like that, bro? Like, I mean, every, I mean, we all know that I enjoy a bit of rum, but, man, you had to put the brand out there that I'm drinking out of the cookout cup. Man. Hey, man it's, uh, it's, it's all part of our And how brand. come nobody's buying me shots? Like, I know I'm five hours away, but come on, y'all. Y'all can well, figure that out. You need to build a constituency. You need to build a constituency out in the 757. <laughs> Tell people where you're going on the weekends. Nah, I'm not. I'm not down for that. Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it's a little creepier that way. Huh? Yeah. But uh, so, boys, speaking of the seven five seven, a team from the seven five seven, the Old Dominion Monarchs, they did not beat Virginia Tech this time. That is the good news. That is the good news. But a closer game than many expected. Mike Ricky, I'm going to ask you both just to start it off. We are two weeks in. Virginia Tech has played one game against a you know a big time opponent in Boston College in which they lost. They take on a lower brow, you know, group of five school opponent in Old Dominion, and not one that's expected to be particularly good at that. They play an up and down game, some good things, some sloppy. From our first episode, from prior to the Boston College game versus now. Have your expectations for the Virginia Tech football team changed? Yes, uh, for me anyway. I, look, I think coming into the year, I thought that this could be an eight or nine win program. And maybe we still get to that point, just given the fact that the schedule's so weak. But 
I'm certainly feeling a lot less confident about the Hokies' chances now than I did before the season started. Uh, Virginia Tech didn't look all that good against Boston College. They end up losing the game by virtue of all the turnovers that they had. It was a very uneven game they just played on Saturday against Old, uh, Old Dominion here to uh, for week two. Um, you know, Virginia Tech jumps out to a nice early lead. They stall out on offense by virtue of a total lack of a running game. Um, passing game was a little bit uneven as well. Ryan Willis was better on Saturday, but the offense as a whole just kind of stalled out, especially in the second half. And it was clear that the defense got tired. And, you know, Justin Fuente last year talked about the games being, you know, a four-hour stomach ache. And that's how the Hokies were going to have to play their football games last year. Well, I'm feeling more uneasy about this year's team than I did about the team a year ago. You're seeing a lot more freshmen get on the field than we did even last year. You know, I think there's a good foundation at Virginia Tech with the number of players who are performing well, who are younger on the roster. But at the same time, I think the older guys need to play a bit better on both sides of the football on a more consistent basis for the Hokies to reach their ceiling. So it's been a very uneven and a very uneven start to the season for Virginia Tech. I think, you know, to be one and one, I, I think it could certainly be worse. You could be sitting here 0 and 2. You could have laid an egg against Boston, uh, Boston College and Old Dominion. But the fact that they're sitting here one and one um, and, and able to improve and go into this Furman game this weekend and, and try to build some positive momentum before the first bye week of the year, I think is going to be really important for the football team. Ricky, what say you? Yeah, my expectations have definitely changed. I think if you've watched these two games, uh, you would you would have to come to that conclusion. Um, even if the schedule, <clears throat> excuse me, is not really strong, and the level of opponent that they're facing is not all that great in terms of Furman and Rhode Island being both on the schedule, uh, it's kind of hard to find a path for this team to nine wins, especially when you see a team like North Carolina who's emerged. Uh, at two and zero, and they could be definitely uh, in the in the hunt for the coastal. Virginia looks like the real deal. Uh, we all know Miami's going to be a struggle. Uh, Jeff Collins just won his first game for Georgia Tech, so the Tech's expectations have definitely changed, at least in my eyes. And I think that they've probably changed for most, if not all, of the fan base. I think that there was a lot of optimism coming into the season. I think myself included, I had a little bit. Uh, but we've seen over these last two games that uh, team camaraderie and team chemistry can only solve so much. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm with you guys. And it's unfortunate to say because this was a team that we all kind of, not all of us, but many of us imagined just looking at that easy schedule coming into the year that, you know, there might be one, you know, a Notre Dame loss, a Miami loss, and then throw one extra one here or there in the schedule. You saw a team that would be returning a lot of guys on both sides of the ball. But unfortunately for Tech, you see a defense that maybe is a little better, not incredibly better, like both of you said, a lot more freshmen than we would have liked to see playing, are playing right now this early in the season and we're a couple injuries in and there's still plenty of time to go. This offensive line group, this defensive line group is shaky right now and could get weaker at any time. And the more you look at a schedule that has a North Carolina team that's already beaten South Carolina and Miami, Virginia is looking good. It's kind of just like, 
I'm not just not seeing 10 wins. I'm struggling to see eight wins and seven wins wouldn't come as a surprise to me. And if you had told me that three weeks ago, I would have said that you're crazy. So I think that we're just not seeing this team having taken any big leap in any way. And and that's what's worrying me. So I know it's one year removed from actually losing to ODU, which obviously was a shot through the heart, but I don't think many of the Hokie faithful came away from that game feeling good at all. And I, I think you guys are on the same page. For sure. And I think the one other thing to consider too, and we mentioned this on the last podcast, and it's worth reminding people with the Hokies playing two FCS teams this year, seven wins is the baseline for bowl eligibility because only one of those FCS wins counts uh, towards bowl eligibility this year. So they're going to have to win seven games instead of six, which is different than usual. Um, and given the way the Hokies have looked on both sides of the football so far, it's not exactly awe-inspiring that they'll easily reach that seven-win number. So, look, I, I think they'll be okay, but there are some causes for concern, namely on the offensive and defensive lines, as, as you just mentioned, Andrew. Um, offensive line in particular, look, they've suffered some injuries, which we knew they couldn't afford. And uh, if they suffer any more of those injuries, it's just going to become even more more difficult to run the football, which has been a task. They are 107th nationally right now in rushing the football, which is the worst it's been in the Justin Fuente era by far. Granted, it's only a two-game sample size, but Boston College's defense, while good, is not the Boston College defense of old under Don Brown when they were like a top-five unit nationally. That's not the same Boston College unit anymore. Old Dominion is going to be a middle to bottom tier rushing defense in Conference USA. This isn't exactly a world beater uh, on defense for them either. So, look, there's certainly cause for concern in the running game for Virginia Tech. The inconsistency in the passing game is obviously something to highlight as well. And I think the one thing we need to continue to watch is we're asking Ryan Willis at quarterback, an imperfect quarterback, to be perfect absolutely perfect in order for the offense to be successful because as long as you can't run the football you're putting a ton of pressure on your quarterback he's prone to make mistakes just by the nature of how he plays and that's just the starting point and while the defense has played better uh you know if the offense stalls out at any time throughout the game you're going to be putting a lot of pressure on that unit as well they're going to be on the field for long periods of time and we're going to see issues like we saw crop up in the second half of old dominion permeate throughout the rest of the season so it's a slippery slope here. Virginia Tech just needs to become more consistent on both sides of the football. If they want to earn the fans' trust back, they're going to be a, a football team to contend with here this year in the Coastal Division because the Coastal really is wide open. I've got a question for you guys. In what way has this team gotten markedly better from last year? The receiving core? I, I think the receiving core was good last year. No, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. I think the receiving core got better. I don't think that. Okay. Okay. Is there is there any other any other facet of the team that's gotten markedly better? I think the corners aren't nearly as bad as they were playing at the mid to end stretch of last year when they were losing games by forty. I don't think they're necessarily good. So I think you got you got from a good wide receiving core to a better than good wide receiving core, and you went from a horrible defensive back group to a defensive back group that maybe is more shored up but is still obviously prone to making mistakes I don't know I mean they gave up 200 plus almost what 280 yards to Anthony Brown and coming into the game we had seen Anthony Brown struggle against power five defenses before so I'm not really sure that I've seen the defense get markedly better in any way I mean they got bullied around by ODU on the ground they gave up over 200 rushing yards there um 
Stone Smart didn't really do much through the air, but I don't think any of us really expected him to. But through through these two games, I don't see the defense having uh, really any any of that kind of swagger that we've seen in past years where the defense has been the top 30 defense. It's not a top 30 defense. It's not the Bud Foster defense of old, but... Is it even a top 50 defense? I think that's what they have to strive to be. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean that, that's definitely the goal, but uh, at this point, I don't think they're going to be in the top 50. They've they've struggled to, to stop the run. Uh, their, their defensive backs are just kind of all over the place. They have one turnover forced on defense, one interception by Jermaine Waller. Yeah. I mean, the, the defense, uh, to its credit, you know, Old Dominion didn't eclipse the 100-yard mark in total yards until middle of the third quarter on Saturday against Old Dominion. So that's that's good, right? That part of it's good. Now, that that's the good part of it. Now, they compile that with the fact that in the second half against Boston College, they only allowed 78 yards, right? So you have a little bit of good and a little bit of pretty fucking So, bad. yes, there's, there's problems. Yeah, totally agree. I mean – there are issues, right? This is not a consistent unit yet. And last year we went from a bad unit all throughout games to, okay, there are some, you know, there are some bright spots here and there, more so than we saw a year ago. Now, the next step is putting it together for the entirety of the game. Is that entirely on the defense? I, yes and no. Like, I think the defense can just tackle better in the second half against Old Dominion. I, I think it ends up looking a lot better. Um, I, on the offensive side, I think staying on the field in the second half and being more consistent and giving your defense ample rest. I mean, playing complimentary football is what it comes down to at the end of the day. I think that would really help the defensive side of the football. Um, do I think the defense is statistically better than a year ago through two games? I mean, I'd have to look. I, I'm, I'm not sure that it really is that much better. Do I think overall as a unit they're getting better? Yes, I do, because I'm seeing glimpses this year that I didn't necessarily see a year ago. Now, the next step is obviously taking taking the next step and making sure that this lasts an entire game, which is something that you know you hope to see against an FCS team like Furman this coming Saturday here in week three to build some positive momentum going into the bye week before you jump back into conference play against a team like Duke that looked pretty damn good against A&T on Saturday. Um, so this is... It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I think this is an important week for the Hokies to just kind of build some momentum heading into the bye, and hopefully they can, uh, you know, sustain some stops on defense, uh, get some more out of the running game offensively, and just build some momentum internally. Because even if you're, you know, we understand this is an FCS program, they're playing on Saturday in Furman, but I think any results that are positive at this point will help this football team, especially with the youth um, that's playing on both sides of the football. Uh, it'll inspire some confidence. So I think it's real. It's a really important game for the Hokies to just kind of build that momentum heading into the off week. I mean, I know the transitive property of football doesn't exist. We all know that. But Furman nearly beat Georgia State, as Ricky so kindly tweeted out to the masses on Saturday. Georgia State just beat Tennessee. Furman's ranked number 13 in the FCS. Bad things could possibly happen. I'm not saying they're going to happen. I still think Virginia Tech should win handily. But they're going to have to string together some consistency in order to do it. Yeah, and, and the, the, one of the yeah, I mean, one of the problems is you've got a team that's pretty talented as far as FCS is concerned, and they have a lot of option principles in their offense. That is the exact opposite of what you want to see if you're a young defense that is still looking to get their feet wet, especially on the defensive line. 
they've got way too little experience on the defensive line to be putting up with an option offense and to have any confidence of of slowing that down all day. So I, I don't think Furman's going to win this game, and I don't think it's going to be close. I don't see the game being within two scores, but uh, it's definitely going to be kind of an abnormal test uh, in terms of FCS opponents for sure. So guys, going to back to the game on Saturday, well, in the first game, I should say, Ryan Willis was the center of attention, obviously because of the three interceptions. Most Many Tech fans kind of blamed him for the loss overall. Ryan comes back 16 for 28, 272 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did fumble. Mike, do you think Ryan Willis – kind of redeemed himself in any way? I mean, a little bit. I mean, I do think he played better. Um, now, there's certainly room for improvement. He did miss on some throws, but he made a couple of big-time throws as well, much like he did against Boston College. I mean, I look, I don't think the Hokies need Ryan Willis to go out and, and throw for three or 400 yards every game if the defense can just play a little bit more consistently. Like I mentioned, it goes back to complementary football at the end of the day. And I look, I mean, the offense is structured right now to a point where the running game is so bad that Ryan Willis is going to have to produce in the passing game for the Hokies to score points. Now, do they improve upon that throughout the rest of the season? I mean, that kind of remains to be seen, but I do think Ryan Willis played better. Um, Again, it's never going to be perfect with him just because of the nature of how he plays. But you know, I do think that there were some positives to take away. I think the fact that he was able to take care of the football for the most part on Saturday, of course, didn't throw any bad interceptions or anything like that. Took care of the football in the red zone, most importantly, which he was not able to, to do against Boston College. So that was an improvement. Um, and, you know, once again, you know, he fumbles late in this football game, but he took a pretty good shot to the head right before he fumbles that ball. So I don't, I don't want to make excuses for a guy who just had four turnovers the week before, but I do think this, that this was a step in the positive direction for Ryan Willis, and hopefully he can build off of it. Ricky, an interesting question for you here. You see Ryan Willis's predecessor, Josh Jackson, to an extent, balling out at Maryland through two games. They just tore Syracuse apart. Obviously, Jackson transferred out of the Tech program after Justin Fuente would not promise him his starting job back. There was thoughts of a quarterback competition in the fall, and Josh Jackson went to the more surefire option in Maryland. As a quarterback, who would you rather have at the helm for the Hokies right now, Josh Jackson or Ryan Willis? Uh, I think it has to be Ryan Willis. Um, I think Jackson's at, at a really good spot right now. I think Loxley at Maryland is actually a pretty a pretty innovative offensive mind. Now, granted, he's going up against Syracuse, who has never really had a good defense. But anytime you, you drop that many points in one game, you're obviously doing something correct. But we saw with Josh here that he just wasn't capable of reaching that high ceiling with the offense. Uh, his his ceiling was was a lot lower than Ryan's, and that's what we saw last year, and I think we've seen it this year. Um, Willis can simply make more throws. He's got a better arm. Um, he, he may not always take care of the football as well as Josh did, but he's going to make more plays. And because your running game is so inconsistent and, and frankly so bad, uh, you need your quarterback to kind of carry the, the weight for you. And Tech has reached a point now where it's almost Ryan Willis or bust on offense. They don't have another option right now to, to carry the load. Deshaun McLeese isn't going to carry the load for you. We've seen that. Uh, Keyshawn King isn't isn't ready for that that role at this point. 
Um, you almost have to just put the game in Ryan Willis's hands, let him play point guard, let him get the ball into his playmakers' hands, and let them go win the game for you. Because as we've seen through the first two games and from what we saw last year, this Tech receiving core is pretty good. And they've got a lot of playmakers, and they've got guys that didn't play last year that are playing this year. And they're definitely making an impact in the game. And I think that that's probably Tech's biggest biggest way to go. And I know we talked about it in the last pod, but I think Tech has to start throwing the ball around a lot more. And I think they need to start putting the run game on the back burner. I, and uh, I don't know. I haven't been able to watch the press conference from today. I know, Andrew, I know you were there, so you can answer this. But was was Justin asked anything about kind of tailoring his offense more towards getting the ball in the receiver's hands? Or, or is he did he comment at all on that? I, I tried to lean towards that. Unfortunately, Pete wrapped up the press conference before I could get to my question. He was asked about how they could get better in the running game. He just said in literally every possible facet was basically his answer. Well, I mean, he's right. They can get better in every possible fashion. The, the running backs have yet to prove that they can break out explosive plays on their own. Uh, they've got some injury problems on the offensive line, even when they were healthy. They didn't really block all particularly well. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've reached a point now where Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson have to realize the, the reality of the situation. You're not running the ball effectively at all. Um, you're almost better off just, just going away from what worked at Memphis and realizing that that's not going to work with this roster. And I think that uh, Fuente and Cornelson are, are bright enough offensive minds to understand that but we haven't really seen it thus far. Mike, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I think this is a scheme issue at this point. Um, I, I think, you know, once you recruit these players and Justin Fuente is in year four now um, and the running game, this is the worst it's been. Uh, and, you know, it's we're to the point now where it's all about results, right? And, you know, we're at show me time for sure with this team and this coaching staff, I think they put, and you know, we can, we can kind of take this, you know, kind of in a different light and put a little different spin on it. But I think the coaching staff and this program as a whole put unnecessary pressure on themselves heading to this year, talking about how it's a new culture and a different team and new leadership. And, you know, they talk in all these platitudes heading into the season and look for Virginia tech last year, when they went six and seven, it wasn't a massive, massive surprise. I mean, when you looked at what they had to replace on both sides of the football, it wasn't like this world-beating, um, you know, crazy, crazy development that they ended up going six and seven. Like, sure, it was probably the absolute floor given, you know, what had to go wrong and, and everything else that happened to them a year ago, and they had the culture issues, but you know, Virginia Tech was a team heading into last season. They lost, they got significantly younger on the defensive side of the ball. They lost a number of starters on that side. The defense struggled all year long. The offense obviously loses Josh Jackson to injury. The running game was never really good all last year. The offensive line had its struggles. And Virginia Tech was a really flawed roster last year. And I think you're still seeing that heading into this year. And that's something we talked about in the season preview in our very first episode here. It's like, look, Virginia Tech's got better expectations this year because the schedule is a little bit easier and you got guys, you know, freshmen becoming sophomores, sophomores becoming juniors. You got guys who have a little bit uh, more experience under their belts. So, you, you know, you could only go up from what it was a year ago, but 
Virginia Tech struggled with a weight of un, unfair expectations to a degree a year ago, and that all kind of came out from under them. And it's just really interesting to me that the coaching staff puts all this pressure on this team heading into this year, talking about how it's a new era and, you know, the team's going to be better and it's new leadership and, you know, they fix their culture issues. You have the Sports Illustrated issue, uh, the Sports Illustrated article that came out before the year. And, you know, Justin Fuente had to sign off on that. You know, he was comfortable with that. He had direct quotes in there as did Trey Turner and Damon Hazleton and Dax Hollyfield. Dax Hollyfield. Oh. Yeah. I mean, guys who are leaders of the program were commented in that or, or quoted. Yeah. And I think that puts undue pressure on the program. So, Look, it's it's been an interesting start to the year, we'll put it that way. It can certainly be a lot worse. Virginia Tech's one and one. Furman is a decent football team uh, in the FCS, so this is an important game on Saturday. You can't slip up. You have to be more consistent in all of that. But, look, I think it could be a lot worse than it is right at the present moment, but there are some, some causes for concern, and, and they're not unlike anything we haven't talked about before already on this podcast it's nothing that's been all that surprising. The, the offensive line's an issue. The running game's an issue. They got some issues still in the secondary and on the defensive line. All of these have been trouble spots highlighted uh, before the season started. So it's all about making those areas of the team more consistent. And I think that starts on Saturday against Furman. Yeah, and I mean, one of the ways you got to look at it, though, is, is these are issues. This team did hang in there with Boston College. We don't know how good Boston College actually is, but – I think from that we learned this team is improved from the team that was getting literally killed week in and week out until they strung together two wins at the end against UVA, a surpriser, and then Marshall, an inferior football team. They're gonna like you can't make mistakes, and the scheme and the play calling are absolutely at the center of it. And if you're Justin Fuente, if you're Brad Cornelson, take advantage of what you have, and that's a good wide receiving core, an offensive line that is not going to be able to block for a billion yards on the ground per game. And a, a group of running backs, which is already down to two from your original three, McLeese is what he is. Keyshawn King's a true freshman. Air the ball out. The wide receivers, and I, Ricky, I wish I could have asked your question too, but it was just rapid fire in there today. How deep are you comfortable going with the wide receivers? Sorry, I got my one question in with about Tavion Robinson that I wanted to ask going in, and that's all they gave. But uh, throw the ball. Throw the ball. I mean, I think that's the way that they're going to have to do it. But going to the defensive side of the ball, guys, I want to ask you guys about Dax Hollyfield. In the middle, he missed a couple of tackles. You talked about undue expectations, Mike. And Dax Hollyfield, maybe because of his swag, because of his mantra, the fact that as a true freshman, he was kind of slapped with that label as the captain of the team. He has not been so – he hasn't been great so far. He hasn't made a huge jump. What do you make of him and the rest of that linebacking group's play so far? He's young. I think that's the that's my biggest takeaway. Like he's a young player still, and he got thrown into the fire last year and responded pretty well. And I think that some of the mistakes that he made last year, you could chalk it up to him being a freshman. But now that he's a sophomore, I think people are paying more attention to the fact that he's missing a couple tackles here and there. Dax Hollyfield's a good football player, um, and he's going to be a leader in this program. He's going to be very good for Virginia Tech. The problem is that he is thrown into the fire. We talked about undue expectations. This is another guy who has a lot of pressure put on him because he's expected to perform at a very high level because of all the promise that he showed a year ago. 
he's young. He's making, he's missing tackles. He's um, not always filling the right gap in the running game. I mean, they're correctable mistakes and things that he's certainly going to have to clean up and be better at, but I'm not worried about Dax Hollyfield. I think he'll be okay. Um, but again, I think he's young, and I think fans need to be patient with with some of the players on this defense. But I understand the frustration given everything that happened last year, and you know how uneven the defense has looked this year. But you know, if you're going to look for a, a leader of the defense with his play, you look no further in the linebacking core anyway than Rayshard Ashby, who's been absolutely flawless in his first two games for the Hokies. He's been very, very good. Um, and, and I think Virginia Tech needs to lean on him a bit more. But Dax Hollyfield has done all the right things for Virginia Tech. He's been very good with the media. He's been, you know, a very hard worker in the weight room. He's been, uh, you know, Bud Foster's praised him for how hard he's worked on the defensive side of the ball and the trust that he's earned in him. So, I, you know, I think Dax Hollyfield's going to be fine, but he does need to be better. Um, that's, that's for sure. Uh, Ricky, is there anything that stood out to you, either good or bad, on the defensive side of the ball this week? Uh, obviously the defensive line worries the hell out of me, given the fact that they gave up 200 plus yards to, um, a group of running backs that let's just say aren't all that talented. I think Elijah Davis is actually pretty good. And I know tech had not had, uh, kind of kicked the tires on him, but, uh, at the end decided not to offer, but, um, you're going up against a CUSA offensive line. That's the fact. And you still gave up 200 plus yards on the ground. To me, personally, that's not acceptable for a Bud Foster defense. Uh, and the fact that they really got kicked in the mouth in the third quarter. You would expect that point in the game to be when the Tech defense is at their best. We've known for over two decades now that Bud Foster is one of the best coordinators in large part due to his ability to make in-game and halftime adjustments. That's what he's excellent at. He's been doing it for years. And they just flat out didn't do it in this game. And if they did, they made the wrong adjustments. Um, I think Jared Hewitt is 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 kind of being shown, at least thus far through two games, to not really be capable of taking on that number one role at defensive tackle. Uh, the guys behind him, Rob Porche, uh, Deshaun Crawford, the, the, the Juco transfer, they're kind of replacement level players. Uh, they've gotten really young on the defensive line now with Taiwan Garbutt being out. Uh, they're relying heavily on Javon Becton, a redshirt freshman, a guy that really probably needed another year before he was ready. So this this defensive line is is exactly what we thought it was. It's really green. It's really young. There are there is some talent there, um, but right now they're getting their butts whooped, and uh, I, I think they really need to step up because if you get better to uh, lot or play on the defensive line, I think the secondary will get better in turn, but. Until then, they need to start filling gaps better, and they need to start getting pressure on the quarterback. So, Ricky, that was your negative from the game. Surely you have something positive to say about the Hokies after the game that they, they did technically win. Yeah, I mean, and like I was telling you guys before we started recording, I mean, I, I think that there is a, a genuine difference in the way this team attacks things. Uh, I, I don't see, you know, the, 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 the lack of resiliency as much as we saw last year. Uh, I think that this team does have a bit of bounce back in them. I think they've got a little bit of fight, uh, which is encouraging because it shows that this team, you know, that the Fuente hasn't lost the locker room by any means. So those who are calling for Justin Fuente to be fired right now all need to just calm down. Uh, I, I do think that they are building that that culture that people want and that Justin Fuente has talked about. The problem is, is that the talent on the field and the experience on the field hasn't quite caught up with that. And 
Uh, I think really the next year will be the, 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 the telltale sign for this team. But there are encouraging signs for the Hokies, and I think Tech fans need to take both into account when they when they start talking about whether or not Justin Fuente is the right man for the job. We've obviously seen some deficiencies in terms of depth and, and maybe overall top-end talent, but we are seeing some positive changes in terms of getting guys who are, to put it nicely, negative uh, influences in the program, getting those guys out, and then finding guys, young guys, guys like Trey Turner and Dax Hollyfield, who are willing to take 100% ownership of the team, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, I think um, the the one thing that that you mentioned that you know I just kind of want to expand upon a little bit is just it it does feel like the culture is just a lot better. Uh, you mentioned the resiliency, and I, I just think that overall this team is a lot more together than they were a year ago, which I think is really important because. You know, as these games become tight and, you know, you're coming down the stretch and you need a stop or you need a positive play, you know, I feel like this team is more prone or more apt to making that play. Look, you saw it on Saturday against Old Dominion. Like, Old Dominion is down by seven. Um, They have the ball on fourth down, and Virginia Tech makes a crucial stop defensively um, on fourth and short uh, in this football game. I mean, there were some positives on the defensive side of the football for Virginia Tech in in the game, and you know, some resiliency late after they had given up some big plays and a couple of scoring drives uh, that were maybe a little bit unexpected um, to let ODU back in it. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are some positives to take away from this football team. I think culture is certainly one of them. And I think the ability to bounce back in these games is definitely a positive. And look, even against Boston College, like Virginia Tech turns the football over five times. They're right in the game um, throughout the second half. And I know they fell down two touchdowns there in the fourth quarter and it took them forever to score with like seven minutes to go. You know, they go on that long scoring drive that ended up putting the defense in a really rough spot. But, you know, I think overall the, the team was resilient in the second half to continue to hang around, even though all of those bad things that had happened in the first half of the turnovers and the red zone interceptions and the terrible fumble by Grimsley on the punt return, like, there are some positives to take away from that. So I do think that, you know, at least from a culture standpoint, things are heading back in the right direction for Virginia Tech. And I do think that's important, uh, especially as this team tries to continue to develop into, you know, the team that they want to be. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that I will just say that the play from the cornerbacks overall between Farley and Quillen on the other side and whoever one of the better performances we've seen out of Tech recently. And it's a lot to expect from them in the defensive line. But we talked about uh, Eric Kuma last episode and how he was going to be a problem for Tech defensively, possibly, and he basically did nothing. I think Tech's quarterback cornerbacks did a good job overall. But, okay, so let's go talk about Furman, and I'm going to forewarn you guys. I don't really know anything about Furman other than the fact that they almost beat Georgia State. They're ranked 13 in the FCS. And Justin Fuente says they run the option and they'll spread you out. So there's a wide variety of things that they're doing with Furman and the Paladins. Uh, Mike, you you certainly know something about them, don't you? I mean, Ricky asked me to give him a rundown, which I, you know, definitely. Pre- no, 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 no. I didn't ask you to give me a rundown. I asked you for like a ten-page report on how on every single bit of Furman. Oh no! And, I know. What do you oh, have for, for you? You like, want to know what their nothing? kicker's name is? Their kicker's name is 
Your kicker's name's Grayson Atkins. He's 9 of 10 on extra points this year. He's a 5'10", 188-pound junior from Inman, South Carolina. I bet you didn't know that, did you, Ricky? I'm all about the firm. <laughs> Uh, it's hard-hitting analysis. I'm currently oh, ordering my like, customized jersey. I'll wear that to the game on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They're, they're obviously, no one's no one's really going to have. Go okay. ahead, Andrew. I I may be a Virginia Tech alum, but I'm a Grayson fan. <laughs> I mean, none of us are really going to have in-depth analysis on Furman. Uh, I, I think we all understand that. We were just joking, but no, seriously. The, the, the the problem I think that we're having is is that um, the the first two games of the season did not inspire enough confidence that despite Furman being very close to beating a team that beat an SEC program, uh, we were actually a bit worried about Furman there for a second, weren't we? I mean, it, it, come on, <laughs> be honest. I'm not like totally convinced that it's going to go great. I'll just go. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll... I mean, I, I, I think all three of us are going to pick Tech to win this game, obviously. But I think all three of us can also see how this game goes exactly like the ODU game, where there's a point in maybe mid to late third quarter, and possibly even the beginning of the fourth quarter, where this is a one to two score game, and Virginia Tech's got to show up in the fourth quarter to get the job done. I think that that's certainly plausible. Yeah, no, I'm not like playing an FCS team you would expect that we'd be seeing a whole lot of Quincy Patterson in this game. I'm not totally sure that we're going to see Quincy Patterson. Like, who knows? Who knows? I mean, we could be totally wrong. Maybe Tech comes out, shores things up, makes a statement. They're winning by four scores in the first quarter. Now, remember, Tech was up, what, 24-3, to 28-3 against ODU. Things fell apart coming out of the locker room. It was weird. You know, you get the pass interference call on Robinson that I think he should have gotten. That could set up a score, and maybe things are different in the ODU game. And maybe those Tech gets those breaks against Furman. Hopefully they do. But I just – I don't want a four-hour stomachache. I don't want a one-hour stomachache. I don't want a stomachache. Anti-stomachache guy. He wants to take his Pepto-Abysmal and not worry about it. <laughs> um. Darren Granger, okay, so Darren Granger, he's a freshman quarterback for, for Furman. He went from throwing for 130 yards in the opener against Charleston Southern to throwing for over three bills against Georgia State last weekend. So this is a kid who does have a little bit of talent at the quarterback position, has five touchdowns and no interceptions this year. He's not turning the football over. He's completing about 67% of his passes, so keep an eye on that. But he is a freshman. This pass rush needs to get right. We know that. The secondary needs to continue to improve. This is the perfect opportunity to do so against a freshman that's coming in who's had a little bit of success in his opening two games, and it's a whole different animal. He's going up against an ACC defense, as questionable as it might be, and you know we'll see what happens here on Saturday. It's going to be a different atmosphere for Darren Granger going into Blacksburg. This is obviously a much different crowd and a much different stadium than he's played in before, but... You know, the Hokies can't take Furman lightly, and I don't want to just talk him up for the sake of talking him up, but we mentioned the Georgia State game. You know, Georgia State just beat Tennessee two weeks ago. They are they lost to Furman 48-42, to but they still hung 42 points on Furman. This is a team that did beat Tennessee. So just take all of that into account. Don't play the transitive property game. It's just things to consider. And, look, Tech can't blow anybody out right now. Until I see it, like, it's just not going to happen. 
they're too flawed on both sides of the football and too inconsistent. So I'll believe it when I see it. The Hokies need to play better and get right on Saturday and continue to improve. That's the bottom line. I've got a really good thought experiment here. Who inspires less confidence for you guys right now? Willie Tagger at Florida State or Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech? And the reason why is because I think Florida State, outside of their offensive line, they're fielding like a Division three offensive line. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's embarrassing, given that they're Florida State. Yeah, I mean, like, Justin Fuente, Justin Fuente still has an ACC Coach of the Year on his belt. I mean, I can't. One more full bad season of Justin Fuente, and next year we're going to be talking a lot differently. We could be talking a lot differently a few weeks from now, but I'm not ready to jump ship just yet. Can you imagine if, if Florida State had lost that game to Louisiana Monroe, which they probably should have? I know. I mean, they, they're, he might not have made it out of that game. I did. I, I saw mean, most Florida of the State, I mean, Did you see the crowd at the game? Did you guys watch any of that game? There was probably like 22 people in the stands. Now, I know that the, I know that the turnout for Tech ODU wasn't all that great, uh, but there were probably – you could count the number of people – in the end zone on one hand. I mean, it was bad at Florida State. So as bad as as bad as things might be in Blacksburg for Tech fans, you're not Florida State and you're not Tennessee. Tennessee is in big trouble. I I think Florida State and Tennessee are two of the programs that are really on the brink. Uh, Well, people forget that back in 2009 – Furman had a guy named William Middleton. He was drafted in the fifth round. He was pretty good. Not as good as Dakota Dozer, who, oh my goodness, still plays in the NFL. He went to Furman. So there could be pro guys all over this roster. (laughs) (laughs) We just don't know it yet. Yeah. (laughs) Don't underestimate this. Uh, What's his face? This Granger, who knows? It could be the next Tony Romo or something. All right, Angie, you're talking nonsense. I got nothing on Furman. I got nothing on Furman. Sorry, guys. I'll do my research for an ACC team. I couldn't bring myself to spend like an hour. Who even knows where to find Furman tape? He's on YouTube. Next week, next week versus Duke, I bet all three of us are going to have a ton of information. Oh, yeah. No, trust me. I'll watch every Duke game, dude. It'll be fun. I promise we will not disappoint you all for the listeners. I promise next week we're going to come prepared cuz I mean Furman, look man, I'm not I'm not I'm not budgeting 3 hours of my time to watch Furman. Just not doing it. Oh yeah. No. Now that's, David that's Cutcliffe, I love right me there. some David Cutcliffe. Uh but all right, let's do some over/unders. We'll only do a couple today. Over/under 3.6 yards per carry for Tex running backs against Furman. Mike? Man. I mean, I'm... Don't fall into the trap, I'm gonna Mike. Say, do so it. I'm going to say... God damn it, man. This is tough. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm going to say over. I, uh, and the reason why I'm going to say over is because I think Virginia Tech knows that this is their last real opportunity to tune up the running game before, you know, games really, really, really start to matter. Like before you get into conference play and later on in the year you play your final non-conference game against Notre Dame. Um, They know that they need to figure this running game out. Uh, The team as a whole right now, 
uh, is averaging 2.8 yards per carry, which is a big issue. It's atrocious considering who they've played. No disrespect to Boston College's defense, who I think, you know, again, not the BC defense of old, but still pretty good. But, you know, when you have a Conference USA defense on the schedule, you're expecting to do better than 107th nationally and better than 2.8 yards per rush. Um, but I'm going to say over. Uh, I'm going to say over. I think Virginia Tech works to to really establish the run. I don't know how many attempts it's going to take, but I think Virginia Tech eclipses that mark, Andrew. So I'm going to say over, what was it, 3.6? Yep. Yep, I'm going to say over. Ricky? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote David Hale here. Since 2016, Virginia Tech ranks 124th in yards per rush on non-quarterback runs. 81st in percentage stop for loss or no gain, and 125th in percentage for going for 10 or more yards. I'm going with the under, and I'm going to go with the under until I actually see something out of this running game. There's no guarantee that Zachariah Hoyt's coming back. Uh, there's no guarantee that the offensive line is going to get better in any way. I think Furman is is may even have a, a equal talent to Old Dominion, considering what we saw at Old Dominion against Norfolk State. Um, I, I, the run game might get better in this one, but if it does, it's not going to get better by much. I'm going under. All right. I'll go with the over just to be positive and hopefully they give Kashawn King some more runs and don't take him out of the game for fumbling on a play where his forward progress was already stopped. Uh, okay. Here's a good one. We're not going to do that many over unders today because it's the Furman game. Quincy Patterson pass attempts over under 1.5. I'm going under, I don't think he sees the field. Um, I think if anything, you're going to see Hedden Hooker. So I'm going to go with under. Ricky? Yeah, ditto for the exact same reason, under. Well, I guess I'll go with the same, even though I do want to see my boy Quincy out there. Definitely. I think we all would love to see him. I would love to see Quincy Patterson throw the damn football. Uh, and I actually think that would be beneficial, but you also want to get Hedden Hooker some experience out there because we saw what happened to Willis. In the uh, in the ODU game, you never know. It, it, it all it could take is one play for him to get knocked out. All right, over under sacks three and a half for Tech. Over, I, I think over. Um, I I think that's a good number, by the way. And the pass rush hasn't been great, but not sure how good this Furman offensive line is. Maybe they proved me wrong, but I think the defensive line is able to get to the quarterback. I, I think that's a that number is about right. I'm going to say over to be optimistic. I think they could get three sacks. Um, that fourth could be elusive, but I think they get. I'm going to go over. Ricky. Uh, over as well, and I think it's there's going to be a couple sacks from non-defensive linemen, something like we saw with Jermaine Waller versus Old Dominion. I think Bud Foster needs to do that more often. I will go with the over as well. Last one, guys. Joey Sly on Thursday night football at home against the Buccaneers over under two and a half field goals. Over, yeah, baby. Yeah, Joey. Ricky? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go under because Tampa Bay stinks, and I think Cam Newton's going to run roughshod all over him. I need better because he's on my fantasy team. I am going to go with the over because Joey Sly is the boy. Low-key, the crowd, I was in Champs uh, for NFL Sunday. Everyone just went wild when Joey Sly hit that first field goal of his career. It was awesome. All right, now let's get to the 
ACC games that we're going to pick before we finish up here. It is getting late. It's almost one o'clock in the morning. Oof. Uh, Hell yeah. I am more tired. I am more tired than I was last time. <laughs> All right, guys. On Friday, North Carolina heads to Wake Forest. North Carolina has won their first two games, one against South Carolina, one against Miami. Wake Forest 2-0 as well. Wake, a three-point favorite at home. Mike, what do you think? I'm taking Wake Forest because they're at home. Um, North Carolina is very good, though. So if North Carolina gets this game, they're for real. They're a top 25 team. Um, but I'm going with Wake, man. I think Jamie Newman outduels Sam Howell. But I think this could be a very fun, explosive offensive game. But I think since Wake Forest is at home, I'll take them to win. Ricky. Uh, I'm going to take Carolina with the points. Uh, we all know that I'm a harsh critic of hashtag steam and deeks. Hell yeah. So uh, I have more confidence in Mac Brown. I'm going with the Tar Heels. I mean, North Carolina has surprised me twice. I will not be caught off guard a third time. I'll take the heels straight up in this one. All right. Boston College at Kansas. Boston College at 21 point favorite at home. Kansas lost last week to Coastal Carolina in a 12-7 thriller in Lawrence. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? You think uh, Boston College could cover here? I do. Yeah, I mean, Boston College just won 35-13 against Richmond. I'm not sure Kansas is scoring 13 points against Boston College. So, yeah, I think BC wins and covers. I think it could be like a similar score, that 35-13. to you know, 35, 13 range, I would put you at 22 and, and that's a cover. So I think Richmond might be better than Kansas. So I'm, I'm rolling with that. I think BC wins and covers. Les miles is not going to have his team lose by more than 21 to any team right now. I don't care how bad they are. I'm going with less miles and the Jayhawks with the spread. Oh, I'm going to go with Boston college. I mean, Kansas is so far behind. They're such a bad program right now. I know Les Miles is a good coach. It's going to take some time, though. But like I reckon... 21 points? Like 21? I, yeah. I mean, they only put up seven against Coastal Carolina. Boston College... I know, but I'm, I'm 21 gonna, points? I, I think so. I think so. All right. Uh, but I do highly recommend that you guys go out and watch if you guys have ESPN+. Plus the short documentary series about Les Miles at Kansas. I'll double advertise that. I think it's so good. Um, all right. Moving on to Saturday, Pittsburgh heads to number 13, Penn State. Penn State, Penn State a 17-point favorite at home. Uh, they've won both their games so far. Penn State has uh, won. A, they crushed Idaho 79-7. They beat Buffalo 45-13, so nothing – Really has been proven yet. Pittsburgh, we know, lost to UVA and then went and beat Ohio by 10 points last week. Mike, do you think Pittsburgh can cover the 17 point with the 17 points? That they have? I don't. Um, now, Pittsburgh did play a lot better against Ohio last week. It was a 20 to 10 victory. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett played probably the best I've seen him play since they upset Miami a couple of years ago in his first game as a starter. Uh, I don't think he repeats that against Penn State and that defense. Um, Penn State's been a pleasant surprise so far this year. They got off to a little bit of a slow start last weekend against Buffalo, but really turned on the Jets in the second half, had a pick six that really kind of sprung them, and they played a lot better after that offensively as well. Um, I like Penn State here to win and cover. I don't think lightning strikes twice here, which is a, 
uh, now a new favorite saying on this podcast. Um, I don't think lightning strikes twice. It's important questions we're asking here. Um, Mike, you need to come up with a different catchphrase, man. Existential stuff. Existential stuff. Ricky, what do you think? Oh, uh, I'm going to go Penn State. Uh, I, I mean, Pittsburgh is just not very good. I think Penn State is good. 17 points is a wide margin, but at home, I think they can do that. All right. I, I don't know. I'm just not buying into this Pitt team. So I'm going to take Penn State. Maybe they're good. Uh, now, West Virginia, a team that I don't think is very good at all. They are one and one. They beat JMU by seven. They got crushed at Missouri to a Missouri team that had just lost to Wyoming the week before. NC State, two and zero. Oh. Heading into Morgantown, their wins include ECU and WCU, both convincing. Seven-point favorites on the road, Mike. Do you think Penn or no, NC State can cover? Yeah, West Virginia is so bad. So bad. Um, yeah, give me NC State to win and cover here. Matthew McKay has looked really good for the Wolfpack, a quarterback. Uh, stepping in for, you know, and replacing a guy in Ryan Finley who had a really nice career there at NC State after he transferred from Boise. Um, Mackie BK has been very good. West Virginia has not been very good. Uh, give me NC State to win cover here. Ricky? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like NC State hasn't beaten anybody. But like you said, West Virginia flat out stinks. So I'm, I'll take NC State. Yeah, I'll take NC State, too. West Virginia lost by five touchdowns to a team that lost to Wyoming. So I'm just going to read into that directly. (laughs) We can't pick the Georgia Tech Citadel game. There is no line on it on ESPN.com. Louisville travels to Western Kentucky, so a little in-state rivalry. Actually, it's going to be played at a neutral site. It's going to be played in Nashville, Nissan Stadium. Uh, so Louisville, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at the neutral site. Do you think they can cover nine-and-a-half against Western Kentucky, Mike? I don't. Um, I, I think Western covers. I do think Louisville wins. Louisville has been very impressive, but Western Kentucky is a pretty decent football team, and Louisville isn't good enough yet to all of a sudden start to cover nearly double-digit spreads. Um, I'm going to say Western Kentucky covers, but Louisville wins. I think it's a backdoor cover situation, by the way. I think Louisville might be up a couple scores here late. Western Kentucky maybe, you know, sneaks back in and covers late. But, um, yeah, give me give me the cards to win, but give me Western Kentucky, the old the Hilltoppers to cover. Ricky? Yeah, I'm going with Mike. I think the real question here is why in the hell are Louisville and Western Kentucky playing a neutral site game? Uh, and why the hell is it natural? Real questions. Blame Bobby yeah, I mean, I, I, I need, I need an explanation. So probably Bobby Petrino fault somehow. <laughs> we can blame him for a number. Is of that reasons. your cat? My cat. <laughs> All right, hold on. I, I know you. I know you guys obviously can't can't see what's going on here between our our chat, but Andrew just put his cat up on the camera, and now I'm curious as to why we haven't seen the cat in previous episodes. Well. To make a long story short, I stole the cat and walked him down Main Street, but that's a different story for a different time. <laughs> oh, man. We're definitely going to get that on the pod eventually. Yeah, that's, that's, its own, that's, <laughs> own, that's its own bonus pod episode, the story of Andrew <laughs> stole the cat. His name is Dale. His name is Dale Earnhardt Sr., comma, Jr. 
<laughs> what? Dale Earnhardt Sr. Jr. So, He's junior. so oh, real man. quick, real quick, Andrew and I did the Hokie House pregame show um, on Saturday before the Old Dominion game. We're walking over to Lane Stadium to tailgate, and Andrew brings up Dale, right? Dale the cat. And what I say to Andrew on the way over to the stadium is we're walking over across campus as I say to him, hey, you know, Andrew, what's the deal with the cat? Like, do you like this cat? Is this cat cool? Is this cat pain in the ass? He goes, well, and, and Andrew, Andrew says, and I quote, well, it lies somewhere in between. Like, he's cool sometimes, <laughs> and he's also like a major pain in the ass. So that's the story of Dale, who I have not yet met, but I have now seen here on camera. So uh, I'm fired up about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish I could, like, put him on a leash and, like, bring him into the parking lot or something. It's a like cat. That, but. <laughs> He would thrive thrive at, like, Center Street or something. And maybe I'd just let him go, and he could never come back or something. That would be huge. Uh, All right, all right. we got to move on now. This this has completely gone off the rails. Andrew goes, I hope hope we let him loose on Center Street. He never comes back. That would be huge. So it gives me an idea of where Andrew stands with his cat. But I mean, the the listeners finally have a look into the deep dark soul of Andrew Alex. Yeah, no. <laughs> Actually, for real though, if any of our listeners want a cat, oh my so, gosh, you are actively really pawning your cat off onto our listener base. If anyone you wants ought him, to be ashamed DM. of yourself, I have open DM. sir. I have open DM. <laughs> <laughs> Need to get All right. home. What's <laughs> the next game? Good lord. Okay, I'm gonna pick Western Kentucky. Uh, next game is. Gosh. All right, come on, uh, composure, fellas, composure. Duke, 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 six point favorites on the road at Middle Tennessee. Duke. Yeah, Duke. Why is Duke traveling to Middle Tennessee? Come on, Cutlip. Why is Duke playing Alabama to start off the season? It's been an interesting road for Duke so far. Like, if you're <laughs> – I mean, I, I I just don't get it. Like, why are you why are you agreeing to, to play Alabama week one? And why the hell are you traveling to Middle Tennessee State? I don't know. They got to I mean, stop. come on, man. Have some I – mean, I feel like Duke is a higher prestige program than that. Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, they shouldn't be having to play road games at Middle Tennessee, but Tech shouldn't have to be playing road games at Liberty. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's suboptimal, solid. as my my good friend and colleague David Teal likes to say. Hashtag yeah. suboptimal. All right. Well, we're all going with Duke cover six points, or what's the deal? Yep. Yes, Duke, Duke covering. Okay. Ooh, you've heard this story before, guys. Syracuse heads to the Carrier Dome. Or, uh, cut that. Clemson heads to the Carrier Dome. <laughs> 27 and a half point favorites. Uh, they've upset Clemson before, or they've gotten close another time, too. Does Clemson cover this 27 and a half point spread? They do. Yep, they do. And I've made this mistake before. Uh, saying that Clemson would cover against Syracuse, and Syracuse has been an Achilles heel for Clemson. Syracuse just got murdered by Maryland on Saturday. Uh, They looked absolutely atrocious on defense. 
Uh, conversely, Clemson did not play their best game against Texas A&M. They probably, uh, I'd say like a B, B-plus effort from Clemson. Like they were still pretty good, but there was still some that they could have improved upon in that game against A&M. But Clemson put that thing at arm's length, and A&M never really got back into it. They scored a late touchdown uh, to cover the spread, which lost a lot of people money. Um, but, you know, Clemson's a team that, you know, you look at Trevor Lawrence and how good he is. He had a really nice bounce back game. He did not play great in the opener against Georgia Tech. He was really good last Saturday against A&M. He's going to torch the Syracuse defense. I think Clemson wins and wins big. I don't think this game is very competitive at all this year. Um, and I think Clemson covers the spread here. Ricky. There is something about the Jiffy Pop Dome that makes it really, really hard to play there. Uh, I know Syracuse got absolutely pantsed by Josh Jackson and the Terrapins, which who are probably going to, I think if they're not ranked yet, they will be ranked this year or this week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to go with Syracuse, though, I think, to cover that spread. That's a mighty spread. Uh, well, like you mentioned, uh, like Trevor Lawrence has been kind of iffy so far to start this year. I don't know if they've completely got on track. I'm going with uh, the Orange. Yeah, I'm going to go with Clemson. I mean, Losing by 43 to Maryland does not inspire much confidence for me. I mean, yeah, Trevor, yeah. you're right. It's just, I just on that baseline piece of information, I got to go with the best team in the country to cover that spread. <laughs> and especially given the history, I don't see Dabo pumping the brakes too early, if you know what I mean. Uh, last game for us before we talk tech. Uh, Florida State will visit UVA. UVA now ranked the 25th team in the country, according to the AP poll. They're seven and a half point favorites against Willie Taggart squad at home. Mike, do the Who's cover? Yeah, they do. Florida State's a really bad football team. Virginia wins and covers at home. Ricky, you agree? Yeah, Cam Akers is is really all that Florida State's got. Uh, Virginia is. A lot deeper and a lot more balanced than that. So I'm going with the Who's to cover that spread. Cam Akers has got like almost double the rushing yards that the Virginia Tech running backs have. Combined. He's good, man. He's real good. But I don't think that'll be enough. I think UVA's got a good football team. And at home against this dysfunctional Florida State squad, I think Bryce Perkins and his senior leadership wins out. They'll They'll win convincingly. All right, we can't really pick the spread on the Tech Furman game because no such spread exists. Real so quick, Mike, you're, you're the you're the gambling degenerate here. What would you set the the spread at for this game? I saw a spread on a foreign website that I will not name right now that had Tech as a 35 point favorite. Holy hell, 35! Tech so, Furman. <laughs> so I would take Furman there. Um, you know, granted, Tech was, what, a 28-and-a-half-point favorite against Old Dominion. I actually think Furman might be a little bit better than Old Dominion. Maybe that's a hot take, but... No, I can't uh, do so, Hashtag too. semi-hot take. Yeah. Um, hashtag I, warm take. So, if we're taking... <laughs> uh, if we want to take Tech against that imaginary spread, we can. Um, I'll call it imaginary, but it's not so imaginary. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll... Uh, 
I'm going to go with Furman against that spread. Uh, Tech, obviously, straight up. I need to see Tech win a game convincingly before I turn 40. That would be really nice. Uh, (laughs) For the record, that's 13 years from now. I'm 27 right now, so (laughs) I have a little bit of time. Um, Oh, man. But I haven't seen it yet this year, so I'm really hoping it comes on Saturday here against Furman, so we'll see what happens. Ricky. I would also take Furman against that spread. I think if I were setting the spread, I would set it something at like 17 and a half. I think in that range, I think would be a fair spread. But no, Tech's obviously going to win this game straight up. Uh, And and you're right, Mike. Tech needs to show that they can do what they're supposed to do to a a lesser opponent. And that's exactly who Furman is. They need to wipe the floor with them. All right. I'd take Furman at 35. I'd take Tech at your 17 and a half. I I would Would say Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll say that I'll, I'll say they'll win by, you know, roughly twenty-one to twenty-eight points. A convincing win, but not a blowout entirely. So that's in the books. Last thing, Mike. Bonus points if you can remember remember the name of the kicker that you previously mentioned for Furman. Nope. I did not. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, folks, we promise in the future we'll be much more analytical in this podcast, just for all intents and purposes. That ODU game was so boring. I just don't have much to say about it other than the fact that it was very concerning. Hopefully we get more exciting stuff in the Furman game. We might be back next week. We'll talk about it. Maybe we'll give you some bonus things, some some after three games looming questions podcast because we won't have a game to preview we'll come back with a full in-depth preview of the Hokies Friday night matchup with Duke two weeks from now I'm super excited for that one uh but until then I am Andrew Alex for Mike McDaniel and Ricky Blue make sure to subscribe to this podcast it's available on Apple now so rate and review and stuff like that Uh, Tell your friends, if you have friends, follow us on Twitter at Hokie Hangover. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep bringing you this content, whether you like it or not. So we'll see you guys next time. (laughs) 